0: Scripture reading is from Psalms 89, 18 through 20, and 26 through 37. It's in the Pew Bible, page 549 and 550. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord. Our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people and said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior, I have exalted a young man from among the people, I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil I have anointed him. He will call to out to me, You are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquities with flogging. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David. This is the line. This, his line, will continue forever. And his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon. The faithful witness in the sky. Amen.
1: We're going to do the scripture reading a little bit differently. Uh, In synagogue worship, we first all pledge allegiance to the Bible... Uh, before we read it, and we want to give you opportunity to do that. Uh, This is uh, spoken about in the Bible, in Nehemiah chapter 8. You could look at that at your leisure sometime. What we're doing is very biblical. There are none like you among the gods, O Lord, and none like your deeds. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures in each and every generation. The Lord is king. The Lord was king. The Lord shall be king forever and always. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace."
2: I am not Adonai person who is malchutcha malchut person who is not a person Adonai Melech, Adonai Malach, Adonai Imloch, Leolam Leo Adonai Lamo Adonai V'aret,
1: we're going to uh, process around. We'll come completely around. Uh, the idea is we all stand together. And uh, you pledge allegiance by touching the cover of the Torah scroll with some object, a book or a pencil, whatever. And then you kiss it. When the ark would travel, Moshe would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your foes be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from you. For from Zion the Torah will go forth. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed is he who gave the Torah to his people Israel in his holiness. It's customary, if you want, to follow us. After you pledge allegiance, we make a little per- procession, a little parade, around and round the, the pews.
2: Why he been so alone? Why, oh, my she come, fuz uw mi Baruch shenatan, Torah, Torah, le'amo Yisrael, b'g'du shato. Elena, maherik zat, lo kulam the God. Ja, maherik. So, I'm going to go vecha the next level. I'm going to go to Ki mitzion te tse torah udvar Adonai Mirushalayim shenatan, torah torah shenatan, torah torah Le amo Israel
1: In synagogue it's considered a big honor to come up before everyone and to read the uh, Torah in public, in fact, the honor is usually auctioned off as a fundraiser. Uh, in some synagogues, the honor can go for you know, as much as $100,000 on, on special events, uh, but here in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we get to read the Torah for free. Call up now our first reader. Tali La Torah.
3: Bless the Lord who is to be blessed.
1: blessed. Blessed be the Lord who is to be blessed forever and always.
3: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us among all people and given us his Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, who gives us the Torah.
1: Now I'm going to read and you're going to translate me. Okay. <laughs> uh, in synagogue, the Bible is never merely read. it's always chanted according
2: to the accent. <laughs> בהוודא יוסף אלכיו, ויתן את קולו בבחרי, וישמעו מצרים, וישמע בית פרעון. ויומר יוסף אלכיו, אני יוסף, העוד אבי חי, ולא יכלו אכלב לענות איתו, כי נבחלו מפניו.
3: I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you.
1: Now you get the blessing after.
3: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us true Torah and planted eternal life among us. Blessed are you, O Lord, who gives the Torah.
1: In the portion read in synagogues around the world this Sabbath, Joseph's own brothers don't recognize him because of the foreign getup. Joseph speaks Egyptian and dresses Egyptian. Joseph is the ruler of the Egyptians. It doesn't cross their mind that the man who saved them from starvation might be their brother. They think their brother's dead. Today, many Jews don't recognize Jesus because of the foreign get-up. There's nothing recognizably Jewish about the Jesus presented in church. Everybody knows Jesus is the king of the Gentiles. When Jesus discloses himself to his long-lost brothers and sisters, suddenly everything will fall in place. Jews will recognize their brother. They will see the one they assume to be dead is alive on the throne. They will see that God has appointed their brother to save them. We'll have the after our reading now, the reading from the Prophets.
4: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen good prophets and was pleased with their words spoken in truth. Blessed are you, O Lord, who chooses the Torah and Moshe his servant, Israel's people, and prophets of truth and justice. Today the reading is from Ezekiel 37. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all the world, And bring them back to their own land. I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defy themselves with idol and vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding. I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children, and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, Rock of Ages, just in every generation, the faithful God, who says and does, who speaks and fulfills, all of whose words are truth and justice.
2: Baruch at Adonai, Eloheinu, melech olam, sur kul olamim, tzadik b'kul adorot. Ha'el aneman, k'ayem, she'kol d'varav amet v'tzedek.
1: Now we will have the final
2: portion of
5: scripture blessed are you o lord our god king of the universe who has sent his messiah and called us from every nation tribe tongue and people to serve him blessed are you o lord whose word has reached us in love today
1: our scripture is from ephesians chapter 2
5: But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, king of the universe, who has raised uh, Yeshua, and gathered his people to himself. Blessed are you, O Lord, whose word is alive and active.
2: Thank
0: you. Amen. Amen.
1: One of the ancient uh, customs, when the majority of people were illiterate, was uh, people wanted to check that uh, when they heard the Bible read, it just wasn't by rote. They wanted to know that it had actually been read. So we lift up the scroll so that uh, we can see the column that was read, and we point, if you'll join us. Stand with us.
2: This is the Torah given to us through Moshe, the prophet of Israel. From the lips of the Lord and the hand of Moshe. Versot Torah asher sam Moshe lifne b'nei Yisrael alpi Adonai be'yad Moshe.
1: You're welcome to be seated. I want to thank you for the invitation to address you. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we've always understood that end time events will transpire so that the entire population of planet Earth will eventually polarize into two groups. One group will keep God's commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. The second group will choose, either under deception or intimidation, to live in flagrant violation of God's commandments. And the commandment violators will conspire to persecute the commandment keepers. On today's religious scene, there are only two sizable bodies of commandment keepers, Jews and the Seventh-day Adventists. So by our own account, Jews and Seventh-day Adventists share a common destiny. If we believe the whole world is going to gang up against us, isn't it about time we make friends with our future allies? Fact is that Jewish people and Seventh-day Adventists hardly know each other, and what each thinks they know about the other, is mostly wrong. (laughs) We need to build bridges between our respective faith communities. We need to interact on a personal level and start to break down those misunderstandings. The least we can do is to tell our future allies we care about them. We already feel we're on their side. And we want them to know that according to our understanding, Sabbath observance will someday put us in the same boat. When anti-Sabbath legislation threatens Jewish existence, we want Jewish people to turn to their Seventh-day Adventist friends who can explain what the upcoming crisis means for God's commandment-keeping people. Remember, we're on the same side. Jews and Christians are both God's children. Someday we'll even worship our Father in heaven together. So, even though we've grown up separate, it's really not so odd for Seventh day Adventists and Jews to worship together. We're a lot like folks at a family reunion where distant relatives have come together. We feel awkward because we hardly know each other, but we're still family. We'd like to be friends instead of just superficial acquaintances. We hope this little taste of Jewish-style worship will encourage you to get better acquainted with your Jewish friends and acquaintances. That's why we'd like to expose you to Israel's worship. All Seventh-day Adventist Christians should feel comfortable in the Jewish synagogue. After all, Jesus worshipped in synagogue, If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for the likes of you and me. Synagogue can't take the place of church, but it's a perfectly proper venue for Christians to participate in Israel's worship. And actually, it's one of the best avenues of connecting with Jewish people. Many Jewish people are reluctant to attend church, but you can go with them to synagogue. And you don't have to be Jewish to reach out to Jewish people. In fact, the majority of Jewish people who've come to believe in Jesus have been led to do so by their non-Jewish friends rather than by fellow Jews. Don't ever think, because you're not Jewish, the Holy Spirit can't use you to help a Jewish person come to Jesus. Now, most Jewish people aren't currently open to Christian teaching, That is why they don't watch Christian TV or visit our beautiful church. But Jewish people are open to spiritual experience. Jewish people are open to hearing about your spiritual experience. Your Jewish friend is probably all ears when you talk about your answered prayers. My advice is, approach your Jewish friend as a learner, not as a teacher. You can't teach Anybody, unless he or she agrees to be your student. Don't be a know-it-all. Nobody likes a (laughs) know-it-all. And don't try to prove Christian truth with arguments from Hebrew grammar or numerology or passages in the Talmud. Be a learner. Don't tell a Jewish person what your Bible says and offer to study what his or her Bible says. Don't start telling the Jewish person all about your faith. Instead, ask a Jewish person about his or her faith. Be a good listener. What I'm suggesting here is, is more than a change in tactics. By approaching your friend as a seeker rather than as an instructor, you're changing the paradigm of interaction. Instead of, me telling you how you ought to think or what you ought to do, I'm just offering to learn together with you. You know, friends don't engage in spiritual arm-twisting. Friends do stuff together. Instead of trying to sell your friend on your opinion, you're sharing a spiritual experience. Offer to go to synagogue with your friend, study with your friend, pray with your friend. This is much less threatening. You need to remember Queen Esther. When Esther was was granted her audience with the king, she didn't immediately confront him with her agenda. She spent time getting to know him better. And then she only asked to spend some more time with him. On their next date, she spent more time with him, picked his curiosity, asked for another date. She waited until the chemistry was right before she popped the question. By the way, you don't have to be a Jewish queen to know about the indirect route of persuasion. Every woman in the world is an expert. (laughs) But this is how you bring up spiritual issues with your Jewish friend. The indirect route, when the Holy Spirit moves, you'll know when to nudge the conversation toward your friend's spiritual condition. Wait till the moment's right. And if initially you're rebuffed, wait for the right moment to return to the subject. Don't mistake an initial rebuff for a final answer. In order to communicate effectively, you need to be sympathetic. In order to share your experience of God, you need to be familiar with your Jewish friend's experience. Seventh-day Adventists everywhere must invest time to personally interact with our Jewish acquaintances. We need to develop mutual trust. As is currently practiced, Seventh-day Adventist evangelism is geared exclusively to persons with a Christian identity. In order for this movement to carry out our full mission task, that has to change. We have to learn how to invite persons with an Islamic identity to become part of the commandment-keeping remnant. We have to learn how to invite persons with a Jewish identity to become part of the remnant who hold the faith of Jesus. Our job has never been to turn others into Christians. Of course, we welcome Christians. We urge them to remain Christians. We believe that by joining the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Christians become better Christians. God uses Christians to reach other Christians with the third angel's message. But the everlasting gospel must go to every ethnic group, to every community before the end comes, including non-Christian worshipers of the true and living God. There are certain barriers the gospel, you do need to be aware of. I want to talk a little bit about some attitudes which hamper our witness to Jewish people. Unfortunately, for most of history, the gospel has been proclaimed as bad news for the Jews. The church has taught that God has disowned his firstborn son, that God has unchosen the chosen people, that God has rejected Israel. The church is taught that if a Jewish person wishes to accept Jesus, he or she must stop being Jewish, or at least stop behaving like a Jew. The only gospel most Jewish people have ever heard is the bad news for the Jews. But the word gospel means good news. You all know that. By definition, when the good news for me is the bad news for the next guy, it's not the gospel anymore. If the gospel to the Gentiles is at the expense of the Jews, then the gospel has been garbled. In order for the Jews to hear the gospel as good news for them too, it has to be proclaimed in terms that don't negate Jewish identity. For 1900 years, Christians have said that in order to make room for his newborn sons and daughters, God disowned their older brothers and sisters. Well, let me put it to you this way. Would you really want to be part of a family where father disowned his firstborn son in order to make room for the younger children? Would you like to be part of a family where kids kill each other off to prove who's daddy's favorite? The church assumed the logic of a criminal. I've taken your identity So everything that once belonged to you is mine. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Since I'm now Israel, you no longer have the right to be Israel. And the logic of identity theft was deadly. Christians perceived that the continued existence of literal Israel was a challenge to their borrowed identity. Christians felt that their claim to be the new Israel would better hold up in the eyes of the world if they could eliminate the old Israel. Historically, the church's theft led to persecution. (coughs) Thankfully, Seventh-day Adventists have never taken an active part in the persecution of Israel. But Seventh-day Adventists have embraced the ideology of fratricide. We've taken that poisonous claim to have replaced Israel into our own bosom. To be credible to Jews, our identity can no longer be based on theft. We must restore stolen goods to the rightful owner. God has given us an identity of our own, a mission task of our own, which is critical to the plan of salvation. We have no legitimate reason for pretending to be somebody else. And Messiah, the God of Israel, has called us to his worship. Those of us who were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel have become fellow citizens, as Jason read for us in Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that once you who were physically Gentiles, those called foreskin by those called circumcision, physically done by human hands, that at that time you were without Messiah, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise not having hope and godless in the world. But now in Yeshua the Messiah, you who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Messiah, for He is our Shalom. He has made us both one and broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in His flesh the enmity of the Torah of commandments consisting of ordinances, in order that from the two he might create in himself one new humanity, making shalom, and that he might reconcile them to God, both in one body by the cross, killing the enmity. He came announcing shalom to you who were far and shalom to those near, for through him we have access both in one spirit to the Father. Consequently, Now, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. By unity of Jews and Gentiles, the Apostle Paul didn't mean that God had ditched his 1,500-year relationship with Israel and took up with a different woman. A covenant God who'd lost his covenant partner could hardly be the same God who had called the Gentiles from death to life in the time of the Apostle Paul. A Gentile church without Israel could only be the sign of an incompetent God. Why would you want a relationship with someone whose previous relationship ended in failure? Gentile hope requires that the God of Israel is still faithful to his prior commitments. Christians who avoid identity theft often fall into the opposite error of denying Israel any relevance. They quote Galatians 3 to the effect that Israel no longer counts with God. Galatians 3, 28, because through confidence in Yeshua Messiah, all are children of God. For as many has been immersed into Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Yeshua Messiah. But Galatians 3 isn't teaching that Israel is obsolete. On the contrary. It teaches everybody can be included in Israel's blessings. Just read the continuation. Galatians 3.29. Now if you belong to Messiah. You are seed of Abraham. According to the promise Heirs. From his other instructions, we learn that the apostle Paul continues to respect functional differences between persons. He writes, "There is neither slave nor free." But when the slave Onesimus runs away from his owner Philemon, Paul doesn't announce there is neither slave nor free. Instead, he sends Onesimus back to his owner with a letter of apology. He writes, there is neither male nor female, but when the women at Corinth decide to worship bareheaded, he doesn't announce, there is neither male nor female. Instead, he instructs, women should worship head covered, men should worship bareheaded. Evidently, the apostle Paul didn't intend his statement about Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, to be taken categorically. His own treatment shows otherwise. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that Messiah abolished the unique differences between persons or between communities. These differences, after all, are part of our God-given identity. As the rabbinic legend says, when Caesar stamps his image on coins, they're all alike. But the Holy One, blessed be He, creates each human being in his own image and likeness, but no two are ever alike. God has not made all His children out of the exact same mold. Any attempt to eradicate individual or ethnic uniqueness defaces God's image. What Messiah abolished, according to the Apostle Paul, is the enmity. Messiah has abolished differences between persons as a cause for hostility, discrimination, exclusion, (laughs) exploitation, oppression, conflict. Messiah brings God's estranged children together so that their unique differences become complementary. In Messiah, differences in ethnicity, gender, age, social status, election for special assignments, these all become matters of mutual service and mutual rejoicing. Messiah takes our differences, which in human history have so often been a curse to us, and restores them to us as the
4: blessings
1: God originally intended. When Christians delegitimize Israel, they inadvertently delegitimize themselves. As the Apostle Paul reminded the grafted in Gentile branches of the olive tree, don't forget, the tree supports the branches. Rather, the Apostle Paul speaks of Gentile heirs in in terms of full participation with the Jewish heirs of the promise. In Ephesians chapter 3, he speaks of being joint heirs, joint members, joint partakers. Ephesians 3, I'm reading from verse 4. When you read, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Messiah, which during other generations was not made known to the children of men, but is now disclosed to his holy emissaries and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are joint heirs and joint members of the body and joint partakers of the promise of Yeshua, the Messiah, through the gospel. What would we say about a business venture where a partner treated his fellow partner like a rival competitor? What would we say about a newbie who joined a country club only to expel all the charter members? And yet this is what the church has perpetrated on the synagogue. It's as though Christians haven't understood the word joint. In joint heir, joint member, joint partner. In case you don't get it, joint means you got to share. As a body, Christians haven't been into sharing. We've insisted on being the sole object of our Heavenly Father's supreme regard. The only piece in the puzzle, the whole enchilada... Up to now, we haven't treated Jews like joint partakers of the promise. Another barrier to the effective witness is the Christian practice of reading ourselves directly into the Bible. Christian leaders encourage us to read the Bible as if it were God's love letter directly to us. Christians sing, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line, all are blessings of his love divine. For purposes of devotion, we're taught to ignore the original recipients and just pretend the Bible is addressed to us. This allows Christians to identify with the Bible even though it comes to us from a far place and time. Christians can read themselves straight off the page. Well, this makes for a nice subjective experience, but this nice subjective experience comes at Israel's expense. Reading the Bible directly works by blanking out the Jews. Now, Christians who engage in this sort of Bible reading don't set out to be anti-Semitic. Nothing could be further from their intent. They simply wish to make their walk with God more personal. But in order to enjoy our direct encounter with God's word, we're forced to make Israel invisible. When Jews overhear Christians reading the Bible directly, to them it sounds like the church has co-opted their story. For Jewish people, the Bible is the book that defines who they are. The Bible is their story too. Christians need to understand Jews don't appreciate being erased from their own book, not even for the sake of a worthy cause like Christian devotion. The barriers to effective witnessing are real enough, hijacking Israel's identity, denying Israel's continued revelance, erasing Jews from their own book, but thankfully, none of these barriers are insurmountable we could learn sensitivity. We can respect the vulnerability of other communities. Wouldn't it be great if the Santa Clarita Seventh-day Adventist Church could earn the reputation as a place of no accusations, a place where God's forgiveness is extended to others, a place of good news for the Jews? You know, if you can count a Jewish person among your family, your friends, it's no accident. God has put that Jewish soul in your life for a purpose. Pray over that soul. Invest yourself. Develop that friendship. Follow the Spirit's prompting. Open your heart. Broaden your horizons. Your church family is behind Rejoice that you have a special part in the plan of salvation. I want to access the blessing in number six, which according to the Bible, can only be given by the priests, but in the book of Revelation, the first chapter, Jesus constitutes all of us, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we have this Privilege as
2: well. <laughs>
1: The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you.